0: Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking is coming to you live from the heart of Manhattan at Rockefeller Center, Newsstand Studios. Joined as usual with uh, John. How you doing, John? Doing great, thanks. I'm all like, you know, if you're on Patreon, you can watch us right now. But I'm all confused, a cat because I'm turned around. I'm not in my normal seat. Joe's behind me, which is making me a little nervous. How you doing, Joe? Joe, hey, doing great, man. Nice yeah? to see you. Yeah, every Tuesday. You. Oh yeah, yeah. Every Tuesday, happy always. Um, <laughs> We do not have Nastasia the Hammer Lopez today, but we do have Jackie Molecules, right? Yes, we do. How you doing? I'm good. Are you in I'm California good. or are you globetrotting? I'm in California, though mm-hmm. I will be in D.C. all of May, so. Mm. Is that before it turns into a hellhole? Uh, yes. You mean, what, in terms of humidity? In terms of just, like, listen, I like, I ha- I like D.C., like, I like the things you can do in D.C., but D.C. in the summer is like, oh, my goodness. Like, well, why? Yeah, you know North what I mean?
1: It is a swamp. I yeah. Know, I know.
0: Yeah. It's yeah. alternatively swampy and humid. It's the—so you go to D.C. Everyone hates I say this. You go to D.C., you go to the mall, right? And you know how, like, all those walkways are all, like, dust and rocks? How could it simultaneously be so humid and so dusty at the same time? How do you get both so that your legs are <laughs> filthy? Like, when you walk around, this is one— I mean, I don't wear shorts, period. But if I was going to wear shorts, I would never wear shorts in D.C. no matter how hot it got, because your legs are just freaking filthy if you go on that mall thing, if you're doing the tourist action. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. No offense, D.C. Uh and, great city, though. I love D.C. Yeah. I mean, how, how many years you live there? How many years you do the radio there? Uh the four years. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, and, uh... Tacking in the upper, upper left-hand corner of cooking issues. Quinn, how are you doing on the Vancouver Island? Hey, I'm doing all right. Yeah? Yeah? All right. Uh, good. Uh, and today's special guest, which we will introduce before we shoot the breeze too much, are uh, Sarah and Caitlin uh, Leung from The Walks of Life. The, the well-known blog slash the cookbook is out slash all this stuff's coming to you since 2013. How are you guys doing?
1: Hey, Dave. Doing good? good. Yeah. Yeah. All All right. Excited to be here.
0: (laughs) Oh, well, uh, we're happy to have you. Uh, So I think Quinn was especially excited that you guys were coming on today. Is that true, Quinn? Super especially excited? Yeah. Yeah, Uh, I mean, not that we're all excited, but anyway, so this is the portion of the show where, well, before we do this, let's give out the number, John, right? Before we shoot the breeze, let's give out the number. People who are listening live on Patreon can call in their questions to 917-410-1507. That's 917-410-1507. And if they want to become a Patreon member so they can listen live, what should they do, John? Patreon.com
1: slash cooking issues. There's a bunch of tiered level memberships. You get awesome perks at every level. Uh, cooking issues, Google map access where everyone puts in their favorite restaurants around the world, uh, access to the video stream discounts to kitchen arts and letters. um, Just a whole bunch of great things. So check it out. Patreon.com slash cooking issues. And I'm
0: considering by the way, doing a voiding the warranty with Dave Arnold kind of a situation where we put some of it out on the regular internets, but some of it just for the Patreon. I've got some very good, uh, warranty voiding coming up. Uh, I already voided the warranty on my, well, uh, on my, uh, well, <sighs> on my uh, what's it called, uh, my frozen drink machine, and uh, I'm about I'm about to seriously void the warranty on my countertop fryer. Countertop fryers are disappointing.
2: I've I feel like is that surprising though? <laughs> uh,
0: well, also like I feel like like my home uh, my home range is ridiculous, so like mm. I can actually do. Decent frying on my uh, on my home range, but um, like everything depends on what kind of frying you do. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like, uh, I do a lot of like classic uh, American frying where the products had been dusted, so it's like, it ends with a dry coat instead right. of ending with a wet coat. Yep. And, mm. and, and, and you know, anytime you end with a dry coat, stuff sinks to the bottom, yeah. burns. And, and you then, end up with
1: all that burnt, like, flour at the,
0: yeah. Yeah, and then, particles, and, and then because you're not using enough oil, you're cycling, those particles burn, oil goes bad, even within one frying session, oil mm-hmm. can go bad. So, like, you know, even home fryers, like, that aren't donut style, that aren't the fry daddy kettle kind, um, or the wide, you know, they, uh, they have a little bit of a cold zone so it can preserve you if you're doing that kind of, and in fact, we're going to talk later when I talk to you about some of the recipes in the book, mm-hmm. uh, about, uh, specifically the wing recipe. I know that's, I think it's your dad credited mm-hmm. for that. Anyway, we'll talk, we'll, 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 talk about it, but, um, the power is just too low. You mm. know what I mean? So like, and even a home stove, the power, most people's home stove is only like 20,000 BTU. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? if you know right. uh, 25 maybe if they're in a semi-pro and it's just not enough so to get a, a reasonable amount of power into a, a a home fryer a wall socket ain't doing it right ain't right, doing it Right. You know what I mean? yeah. so you know i figure what if you i'll give you the basic gist what if you took two fryer elements and you squished, you you bent the fryer elements so that both fryer elements could fit in the bottom of the fryer, and then you plugged it into two sockets at once. And now you're at now you're at three point two <laughs> kilowatts of power. Now, uh, now I can fry something. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know. Anyway, so I'm thinking about it. Join the Patreon, uh, and you know, you get such things as a discounted uh, the walks of life. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I mean. The book (laughs) from from, from Kitchen Arts and Letters. So we give a a discount to our Patreon folks uh, for, you know, buying the uh, whatever the book of the person who's coming
1: Very nice. And I know they have like they have a cache of signed copies right now. Oh,
0: nice. Aren't they good people? Yeah, they're awesome. awesome. All right. So here's the part of the show where we talk about uh, interesting things that have happened to us that are relatively food related over the past week or so. Mm. So do you you guys have anything?
1: Um, so, we were recently in Flushing mm-hmm. um, over the weekend with family, and we went to the new outpost of Wu's Wonton King, if you've ever been there in uh, Manhattan Chinatown. They have a new restaurant out in Flushing. Um, and we had, we splurged on a king crab, which um. I haven't had in a really long time um, because you know it's it's exorbitantly pretty Exorbitantly expensive yeah. yeah but we were kind of <laughs> celebrating cuz uh, we hadn't seen some of these family members in a while and steamed king crab legs with just garlic um, it's like a soy saucy garlic though yeah but i was i was like wow
0: do they do the live
1: oh yeah it is live yeah. oh yeah, yeah. oh it's they bring like it out it's 600 now yeah it's it, insane yeah. this one so the the key move here is to do the set menu which in this yeah. case it was a table of ten people. It was six hundred it was about six hundred dollars for the crab plus eight other dishes.
0: That's not, I mean,
1: so, okay. that's not so bad.
0: <laughs> <laughs> too bad. I mean, at least you
1: feel like you're like, okay, the crab is like maybe like
0: three quarters of that yeah. and then show me the body size. Show me the body size <laughs> with your hands. Well, that's the whole well, thing.
1: Well that's puzzle, so oh, oh, the, the, body. Body size
0: the body was like, was like this. Yeah yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, good. yeah. 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 It was, it was seven pounds. Seven yeah. months, not yeah. bad. You know, uh, this is going to make you mad. Uh, I've only ever cooked live king crab twice. And they only cost at the time, I think like $150. Like oh my that. God. We oh used wow. to get them from True, True World. Yeah, we used to get them from <laughs> True World Food. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. And
0: we, uh, maybe I cooked it three. We, we used to get at the, at the, I used to teach at the French Culinary Institute. Mm. And I used to do demonstrations. And we were, let's say, uh, for a demonstration, we were, Price insensitive, mm-hmm. and so like <laughs> I, could, I could get some messed up, messed up ingredients. But yeah, so okay. So, how many dishes did they make with it? So they made
1: two. They made the steamed, uh, the steamed
0: crab with there's just
1: the legs, right? And um, what was the sauce
0: you said was on it? It was, it was mostly, mostly a, garlic. it's like garlic.
1: But like a softened, a touch of, a so touch that it's of like soy sauce,
2: sweet with a touch of soy sauce.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. just you could just taste the sweetness of the crap. The other way to get it normally is fried, but I think steamed is just. Yeah, well, yeah we, had, we had a
2: little tableside debate because I was God. like, I kind of wish it was fried. And Sarah's like, No, 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 no. No.
0: <laughs> no. Do 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 all of your fancy skull doggery with the body,
1: right? Yeah, right. you know right. what I mean. Like all the flavors, <laughs> all the
0: textures. Like you yeah. know, you're paying infinity for this for the meat. Yeah.
1: And oh. then they did they did a fried rice with the body. Um, oh yeah, that's delicious. Yeah, it so, was yeah, good.
0: stupid good. It was good. It was good. We it
1: have went- we actually have a similar recipe in the book. Um we could call it our special golden fried rice and it was actually inspired by this restaurant. The one with the egg. Yes, yeah, so there's like egg yolk fried. So you get this like those little like strips of I don't know like wispy like egg yolk. Threads of egg. Yolk. Yeah, threads. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: do I forget? Do you do that one in the oil? Blah, 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 or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> with uh, the sound effect.
0: <laughs> 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 and
1: then golden raisins, which is like ah. a bit of a weird flex, um, but really good. Yeah, really good.
0: Yeah. Huh. All right. Now, now I'm jealous. I got some. Got some FOMO. It's been so many years since I've. Had the king crab. Do you think the price (laughs) is going to go down or do you think it's going to keep going up? Are we overfishing the hell out of that?
1: I think we are. are. I think there was actually a king crab shortage recently. Like, they were like, oh, no king crab, which is why I was surprised to see it um, at this restaurant. Um, But, yeah, I mean, we haven't had one in, like, many, many years either and definitely reserved for special occasions um, because it is so pricey and— relatively scarce right and, um, you
0: know the other thing about any kind of crustacean is you definitely want to buy it from a place that has like high throughput yeah because like you know if if you're going to like uh I'm, you know everyone knows i'm talking about like a pseudo fancy place where mm-hmm. they have like the one and they keep it alive <laughs> for like you know what i mean it's like the longer those things stay in the tanks yeah like the, right. they they basically they i'm told i don't know that much about crabs actually to be honest how they but like lobster tanks those things are basically eating themselves once they get put in the tank. Mm. So, you know, you want them as soon as they come out of the water as possible. But, yeah. you know, these places, they're like, it's a business for them. So they're probably coming in styro right off of an airplane totally. into their tank, into your mouth. Yeah. Oh, my goodness.
2: Everything in Flushing is just super fresh. Like, the vegetables, the seafood. Like, we were walking after dinner, and my dad was like, ugh, the seafood's just so much better here. Yeah. So.
0: Yeah. Well, so he—so so he, you're—okay, well— uh, we haven't, John. Do you have any good, uh, any good food stories for the week? Anything? No, nothing really. Unfortunately, no. Well,
2: I feel like uh, I have another one out right, of Flushing. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> we had it was actually before dinner, so we we had a little bit of the munchies because we had a book event at the Queens Public Library, and then we were walking around Flushing
0: Main Street. Go QPL. My wife's designing a QPL right now. Oh, very yeah, nice. Or, or you know, re- redesigned <clears throat> or redoing. Yeah, QPL. <laughs>
2: <laughs> um. So we were walking back to the like parking lot and there's a chuar man. So chuar is like a kebab. That's like the Chinese word for kebab. So it, it the characters, the Chinese character is actually cool. Like it looks like a little, like two cubes of meat on a
0: stick. Yeah. Strong.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so it
0: must be an old school character.
2: Yes, very old school. Or old
0: school recipe, I mean. If it has, if the character looks like the recipe, it's got. All right, right,
2: right. It's been around for a while. One of the more intuitive Chinese characters (laughs) out there. Um, And I was, I said to my mom, "I was like, oh, let's definitely get some." And everybody was like, "Yeah," everybody was on board, like super excited. And we ended up waiting in line for like kind of a really long time. And I was like standing there and I was like, did the guys in front of us just order like 40 char or something? I was like, what's going on? And then as I was standing there, I was looking and I was like, you know, this is a philosophical difference on like char grilling because they had, you know, they had like the special little narrow grill. It was all very, quote unquote, authentic or traditional or what you would expect. But it was taking so long to just like cook a few chua. And I was like, I guess they're doing it like kind of like low and slow or like it's like perfectly golden, whereas, like, if I do char at home, which there's a recipe in the cookbook, actually, I do it over a natural, like, lump charcoal grill. Big green egg. Little plug for big green egg. And, like, the flame's, like, high. You know? And I'm like, oh, this is great. The the bamboo skewers get a little ch- charred. That's fine. That's part of the allure.
0: You're not gonna eat the bamboo <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then you get little charred bits on the edges. But these guys were, like, so studious about their just, like, perfect golden exterior and i was like i guess not going
1: to lie i didn't hate it no it, it was it. delicious yeah. but we
2: waited forever <laughs> yeah. like sarah yeah. bailed out and sat in the car strong <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then like 15 minutes later we were like rolling up with the five char sticks that we like waited forever for and my my grandma was like oh we
0: shouldn't have done this no oh, man you know so but you're <clears throat> you're like but what i'm hearing from you is not not worth not worth the, no, it's not bad, but make it the fast way. First of all, why not just go three times, have it three quarters of the way done, and then have a giant freaking pile of them. Right. And well, then go shop, 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 you know, mm-hmm. high heat, high heat. Yeah. High. And I, I kind of I mean? was
2: like wondering to myself, I was like, are people complaining if there's a little char to it? Like, is this just like philosophical difference on yeah. grilling meat?
0: Maybe. And this is, this is in a cart. In a cart. Yeah. yeah. In on a cart. On the corner of a street. Yeah, yeah. No, a cart is not a waiting sitch.
2: <laughs> right that's why I was like what is going because I, I was like blaming it all the two guys in front of us it's like two Cantonese guys are like sh- you know shooting the breeze while waiting for their tour I was like did you people order like 40 of these things like yeah. why are we waiting for so long and they didn't even order that I saw them get their order they had like five also and I was like okay what's going on here
0: yeah so but- this is like the opposite of the two hot dogs for a dollar folks <laughs> where I, we used to punk them like how many can you do and we would get like a like, hundred and they're like Fine. You know what I mean? (laughs) Just go. You know what I mean? (laughs) Or like uh, the the bun guy at uh, Sambar way back in the day, Dave Chang's place, Sonido. Yeah. You could just tell him anything. Fire, and you just make up a number. He's like, fine. And it just goes. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, that's the way to do it. Not like... (sighs) Mm, Yeah. Even a home that's grating.
2: Yeah. Ah. So I was a little disappointed. And it kind of set me on like a a little odyssey in my own head. I was like, hmm, is it better to... Do
0: low and slow? Not sure. Well, you can do low and slow, but just do it before I show up. (laughs) That's the other way, right? So like, uh, you know, in John's, uh, you know, like, uh, well, you're not from, do you have dual citizenship? Do you have any? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So he's Belgian, right? And uh, so there, there's two kinds of places, right? The place that makes so many waffles that they just have all of the irons rocking all the time Mm. and you get fresh. That's where you should go, Mm -hmm. right? But they just buy more equipment and more people. You know what I mean? And you wait in a long line for it, but it's a thing you know you have to wait for, or they sandbag them and reheat them, which is not as good, John. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Uh, Huh. What about you, Quinn? You got anything? Uh, Actually, yeah. We we
2: actually fired up one of those little charcoal grills as well, uh, Mm -hmm. like a yakutori style, but just lump charcoal. And then we did, we actually did just big ribeyes over that. Um, and then we did like a classic sort of steakhouse style dinner
0: for Easter. Oh yeah, yummy. Yeah, nice. ste- steak, steak yeah. for e- steak for Easter, huh? Not a not a ham. Family? Yeah, it was sort of. A, it mm-hmm. was like a no. We we were sort of like a late
2: late my mom's birthday Easter dinner.
0: So. Yeah. yeah, you know, I once took a whole bunch of searsals, turned them like face up, and did like infinity yakitori. It was nuts. Oh my god, it's so hot. Um, <clears throat> what about you, Jack? Anything? Anything? Got anything?
1: I've been in like total goblin mode because my girlfriend's out of town, so it's sort of like <laughs> instant ramen hours over here. Which,
0: number one, I have to say, I think Bulldog the spicy chicken ramen has to be the best one on the market. That's your favorite. And that's what you go for. That's my. That's the one. Right. And I think I've perfected it to uh, American cheese and egg. And kimchi supplementing yeah. it. So, and that's, that's see, the sweet spot. So, like, like you are, like, how much younger are you than me? Because there's like a divide. Like, when I grew up, there weren't a lot of, like, white folk ramen doctoring. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? Like, whereas now I feel yeah. like everybody does ramen doctoring. I right. feel like, you know. Yeah. I think that, that's. That was, yeah. That right. wasn't something that, you know, yeah. we did. You know what I mean? Like, you know... (laughs) We were doing it. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
2: there were only so many brands, and I have to say, I did have a little bit of a reaction when you were like, oh, that's the best ramen. Because you have to distinguish the Korean brands, Top Dog, versus Chinese brands. And then if you go really deep,
0: there's like Malaysian and
2: all this other stuff, but... I can respect the American cheese slice.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Hey, you know what's a— Fair. It's just semi— Semiang is the one. It's like the black container. Yeah. You know what's a pre-made sauce that is apparently very popular that I can't wrap my head around as, like, a northeastern white dude is Vermont curry. Man, I don't like that. Vermont mm, curry. Vermont had that curry. one? Yeah, yeah I have. I that? think it's
1: all right. It's a little sweet. It's on the sweet side. Yeah. Wait, yeah, what is They're it? They're the curry, the curry roux, the like Japanese box oh, oh, yeah. uh, curry roux. I can't wrap
0: my head around it. That's why? one of those things I can't ra- I don't know why. I also don't like, this is weird because I love like, you know, what we would call quote unquote curry, both in the sense of like Madras style and mm-hmm. in the sense of like Thai style. Like I like curries. I don't really like curry either. The German thing. You know oh, what I mean? that's not yeah, my favorite that's either. Not my thing. Yeah. yeah, I don't understand why a whole country is like yes. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. What about what about you, John? Anything? You like I like that? it. Yeah. yeah? All yeah. right. I like currywurst. <laughs> I haven't had the Vermont curry stuff, but yeah, currywurst is. I don't know. It's odd, but it hits the spot. Okay. Yeah.
1: We do have a from scratch uh, Japanese curry sauce on the blog that we use S and B Oriental curry powder. Have you ever tried that?
0: Uh, wait. Is that the? Was that yellow it's and red? Red. Yeah, it's yeah. like A little red. Yeah. Yeah. Jo- yeah, yeah, yeah. Like canister. Yeah.
1: Um, that one's really good. Maybe give that a try and see if you're just like anti curry or if you're anti Vermont.
0: No, Vermont curry. It's the sweet. It's the whole. It's super the Japanese sweet. sweet. Mm. Yeah. I'm like, nah, thank you. No. <laughs> what about you, Joe? Anything? Anything good? Nothing for me. All right. All right. I got two. Real quick. Uh, one. I did a – I quickly posted that uh, What – I'm just going to call it don't, – don't anyone get offended. I'm going to call it Turkish coffee so that everyone knows what we're talking about, right? Even though like if you're from a different country in that area, you don't look, call it Turkish coffee because you might not get along with Turkish people. And you're like, mm-hmm. we also make this coffee and have made this coffee forever. Nice. Anyway, um, so Specialty Turkish Coffee is a place – it's a company, and they make the 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 pots, mm-hmm. the uh, jezve, the little pots. And so I posted I was – with a really crappy one I bought at, you know – I've got it at Kalustians, which is an amazing store here, but like, you know, it's not like they're selling the highest quality, you know, Turkish coffee pots, right? And he sent me one and it is the best. I, like, you ever buy something, or I didn't buy it in this case, he sent it to me, but you ever have someone hand you something and you're like, oh crap, it feels so good. You know what I mean? Like it was two and a half. Or like one and a half times, or twice, twi- over twice as heavy as the one that I had. Mm. All copper. The tinning was perfect. Like Ooh. everything was made by somebody that cared about it. Yeah. And you also need to have the right size. The reason I rebought is because if you if it's too big, it, you're not going to get the foam for the one cup that you're making, and I'm the only one in the house that's going to be drinking it. Mm. So he sent me this whole setup, and I was just like, oh my god, because a lot of that coffee is very ritual based. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean—the ritual of making it. And uh, yeah, so he sent that, and I was like, oh crap. You know, and it is more money. Like, it's a $60 thing instead of a $15 thing. Right. But it's definitely, if it's going to be a part of your daily routine, like, as an object, every time I pick it up, I'm like, oh, oh, oh.
2: <laughs>
0: you know what I mean? Like, yeah, 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 it feels good. Uh, I mean, I don't know, like, there's some things I care about, and they're, they're usually hand tools and kitchen tools if I'm going to use them a lot, and if they're something like that, I like them to be good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Speaking of, I noticed in, uh, that you guys use a uh, occasionally one of the traditional round chopping block things you like this they're a pain in the butt though right or do you just photograph on that on that stump sometimes we usually
1: photograph on that stump yeah. it's just kind I, of like one of those
0: so you don't keep it in water all the time and have it all that oh no
1: we're, I not, will, we're not oiling it or anything yeah. I will
2: say my grandma has one that is basically I didn't realize you have to keep them wet but it is perpetually wet because she just has it you know that's her only cutting board it's like this big.
0: I could you not. And it's just like, that's everything's done on that? E-
2: everything. And like I was cooking in her kitchen like a few months ago and I was like, it's so small. Everything just started falling off. But there is something about it. It's very solid. It has a comforting quality.
0: So back back at MoFAD, Museum of Food and Drink, when we had the exhibit Chow Up, um, <clears throat> the person who was running the kitchen, his name is John Hutt, and he was experimenting with... Remember all those experiments he did with ch- cutting blocks? Yeah, it took like three or four of them to get them right. But yeah, they were so heavy because they were he was, huge. He was—he was. He was like, I even brought him a stump from Connecticut. I'm like, you want—you want—you want a stump? You want, me to, you want me to rip you off some cookies? And you know what I mean? Like, they, you know, they're, well, they're—they're they're thicker than cookies. But anyway, yeah. Anyway, pain in the butt. Um, the other thing that happened to me, John, you might be interested, is we're working on this. Uh, we make this thing. Uh, Spinsall, which is a centrifuge for bars, and oh. uh, we've been out of stock for four years, three years because the pandemic and the factory wouldn't remake them. And they finally say, "Well, oh, we're making you a product. We're making you the um, the pre prototype so they can I can approve it, mm. and then they can make the tooling, right? Mm-hmm. Or it's a modification because the tooling already exists, right? They're just modifying some of the tools. So when you make a prototype, you don't always make it out of what's called engineering plastic, right? You mm-hmm. make it out of like a prototyping plastic that like looks good. And they made a couple of design decisions that, uh, let's say, I don't necessarily agree with. And when they shipped it, those design decisions, they put weights in it, right? And the weights came off. You ever, like, when I was a kid, when you ordered something from uh, the mail, right, it, it would say four to six weeks. So you would, like, you would get a catalog in the mail. You would order something. You would literally put a check into the envelope right. with your address, you would on a piece of paper, you would write down the, the catalog number you wanted, the size <laughs> yeah. or whatever. And you would and then every day day you'd be like, and you're like, <laughs> Mom, has it been four to six weeks? Has yeah, it been four to six weeks? And uh, that's kind of what, you know, that's what life was like back then. But that's what it was like to wait for this freaking thing. It's been a long, long yeah. wait, long, long wait. It shows up the weights they had put in. They didn't bolt in in a way that made sense. So this is the opposite of the Turkish coffee pot. <laughs> the weights, and the, here's what's even funnier, right? It was in a giant box. It cost $460 to ship it to me from Hong Kong, right? So oh, wow. I paid for shipping from Shenzhen to our agent in Hong Kong, and then I paid $460 for Express FedEx to get this box from Hong Kong to me, right? Mm-hmm. And you, I open it up, and I'm like, ooh, because it's like a layer <laughs> of, a layer of styrofoam, a layer of foam, and then a layer of, like, the long bubble wrap that you use for, like, wine right. bottles, right? So then I'm like, hoo, 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 hoo. <laughs> <clears throat> I cut it open, I open it up, and it's shards. <gasps> shards. Oh, no. When I say shards, I mean it's like you took a vase and <laughs> threw it across the room. And oh, what no. it happened was is they had these, these one-and-a-half-pound weights that were— like bolted inside the thing, and because they were bolted to not engineering plastic and they didn't have like a big washer as soon as they hit like you know in the All airplane right. or in the truck, they hit a bump, the weight snapped off, mm. and then just started going rattling around, shattering everything like, oh, I said, oh just a pile of just a pile of like looked like broken glass I was like <sighs> <sighs> <clears throat> Sat down, made myself some Turkish coffee. There you go. Uh, But yeah, those (laughs) are my semi-food-related nightmares. I don't know if I had any amazing food stories. Although, John, I did a reverse you where my parents asked me to bring an angel food cake to Easter. So I made an angel food cake and then yesterday used the yolks for a carbonara. Oh, nice. Good move. Mm. John has this absurdly large number of uh, egg yolk carbonara recipe. It doesn't seem absurdly large when you're just doing one portion at a time. How many egg egg yolks? Two egg yolks for 80 grams of pasta, dried pasta. So a pound of pasta is 12 egg yolks.
2: Um, Right. When you say it, the single version, I'm like, that's (laughs) (laughs) that's how I think of
0: it. I cheated yesterday. I put some of that, uh, that Spanish uh, fish sauce, the garum. Oh, how was it? Delicious. That That stuff (laughs) is so good, but it costs too much. It just costs too much. Mm. It's, it's, like, it? between 20 and $30. So, like, um, they're doing, like, a fish sauce in the style of, like, Roman, Roman fish sauce. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, um, the only other fish sauce that tastes similar to it to me is the Japanese one, the Asheri. Mm-hmm. Because it's made from, uh, like, fish guts.
1: Right. Mm.
0: Right? So, it's got a different flavor. It's more, like, canned meat. It's mm-hmm. less, like, regular fish sauce and more, like, a mixture of fish sauce and canned, like, canned like Del what's that company with the ham? No, the the one with the Satan on it. Satan. It's say <laughs> it's Satan. It's like wrapped in paper. It's a can of meat wrapped in paper with Satan. Corned mm. um, beef. No, it's <laughs> uh, deviled ham eh, 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 and de- okay. and potted meat, but it's all the same. It's Satan is on the can yeah. anyway. Uh, so it's like a mixture of that. I mean, okay, colloquially, like kind of that dog food, that that, wet dog food smell, which I love. I mean, I don't eat wet dog food. (laughs) but um,
2: Well, okay, yeah, plug for the, like, corned beef hash, the canned
0: one. I do love that. Oh, me too. Hormel? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's really good.
0: Yeah, that's my favorite thing to order at a diner.
2: Same! (laughs) Yes!
0: Yeah, let's see how far we go. I always order uh, two eggs, uh, uh, sunny-side-up, runny, and rye toast
2: not runny but i used to be runny Mm. and for sure rye toast yeah
0: yeah what choice what have you moved to still fried eggs or do you go scrambled or poached instead i'm a scrambled gal now see i need the, i need I like uh the i just when you break the yolk and it goes into the hash but
2: then i feel like it just
0: disappears Mm.
2: and as i get older i want the
0: like i
2: want the experience of having the perfect scrambled egg
0: yeah and then also
2: you know it's just
0: what's your perfect scrambled egg (sighs)
2: I do I do it the the Cantonese way with a little cornstarch uh-huh. to like keep it firm and then just like usually a little spinach because I'm mm, trying to be healthy and yeah. then if I'm not doing like a if I'm doing like a Chinese breakfast thing or like a lunch or like really anytime thing I'll put in doujiao which is a salted chili uh-huh. a Hunan salted chili delish
0: so wait so like uh, what level of uh, wetness is the salted chili
2: Pretty wet. It's wet. Pretty wet. So you, Mm -hmm. you, you like fry those in oil lightly to Uh just get rid of some of the water and then you go in with the egg and then it all sort of just levels out. You don't have to like crisp anything or you don't have to like really cook off all the liquid. You actually want to keep
0: that like briny flavor straight out of the jar. Very good. I don't know what it's called, but I buy this, uh, uh, years ago I uh, did an event in Taiwan and they had these like preserved chili that that everyone would buy. And Mm. then I buy a similar thing, but the one that I get is from the mainland, but I don't know what it's called.
1: Hmm. It might be. It might be the the what we're talking it's, about. It
0: comes in what looks like a little pickle barrel. It's like half gallon. It's like bright red. The seeds and everything. It's all hacked up. It's got like a yellow top on it.
2: It could be. That's probably. It's not a that lot of big. Salt, a lot of salt. Yeah, very, very salty. salty. I think a lot of MSG. A lot of
0: salt. It's. good. Yeah, it's really I good. I use the hell out of that. Yeah. It's like that between between that stuff and the lao stuff. Like uh, although okay, so in your book, <laughs> right? Like uh, in in the in your book. Uh, now wait. Is this a it, or the the chili oil? Is that a is that a Caitlin thing or a Sarah thing? That's a Caitlin thing. All right, so <laughs> that's a me thing. So like, okay, so talk to me because like twenty percent of the recipes contain it as an ingredient. <laughs> okay, now yeah. uh, I, I, and I'm on board. Except, what is the benefit of making it yourself as opposed to buying one of the commercial ones that's out there? Right.
2: So we just a few weeks ago or so put out a post on like which store-bought chili oil is best because we get this question often and the reality is is that there are chili oil equivalents in the market now because it's so popular right I think I think you'd be hard-pressed to find that if this was like three to five years ago yeah but now because it's so popular like all of the Chinese food importers are like hip to the groove and kind of have released like like you know a bog standard chili oil that's kind of like similar to what we have in our recipe, but they just don't taste the same. Like there's something about it that has that more like sitting around for a while flavor. You I can have... find ones that are pretty good. And in the post we do, we do dub a Victor, but honestly the homemade version. I like, is how, you're, I like how
0: you're like, you got to go read it to find out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I, the brands are kind of convoluted. So yeah. it's not like it's like a super instantly recognizable brand, but Yeah, I mean, homemade, so much more fragrant. You do have to buy some fiddly things, but we kind of stack it such that, like, if you have, like, the bare minimum versus, like, the moderate versus, like, the (laughs) souped-up version. Um, But, yeah, it just has more fragrance. It has more flavor. You can... You get that, like, sizzly effect, and it doesn't, like, fade into, like, the process of, like, making something, like, mass-produced. You know what I mean? Like, the flavor, like, is maintained. Mm. Um and yeah, I think also there's been a lot of like line blurring between like chili oil and, and chili crisp. crisp. Yeah,
0: because I I use a lot of crisp because I like high solids.
2: Right, I love a high solid. That's actually pretty polarizing. So I'm glad to hear you say that because I like high solid too. But a lot of people are like, no, I just want the oil. So if you if you only just want if you only want the oil, first of all, you can customize that at home. But um. Yeah. Chili crisps are just saltier. They have different flavors going on. So it's people will say on the blog that they make like mapo tofu with like a chili crisp. And I'm like, okay, more power to you. But like in my mind, that's too much salt. Cause like there's a spicy bean paste that goes into the mapo tofu. That's already really salty. So you're kind of pushing your luck if you start adding like super salty, like lao ma in there also, you know? Um, so that's why we tend to prefer a homemade version because there's no salt. I mean, you can add salt if you want. Delicious. But there's no salt. It's more fragrant. It's pretty easy. And it's it's, it's also
1: more designed for cooking, right? I feel right. like uh, what we found in a lot of the chili oils that we tested was that the chili oil <laughs> cook level, like of of the flake, was had gone too far. So, like yes. when you pull the good flakes point. out of the oil, you're like, "Oh, that's like almost black." Right. You know. And so, if you're gonna cook it again, adding it to a, to another dish, it's gonna be like way beyond right. cooked. So again, another and philosoph- a little burnt, all the way yeah.
0: scorched. Pete, I don't think people appreciate like when chili peppers like sometimes they're good, kind of burnt in some recipes, but I don't like the bitterness.
2: Right. Of it's a, a burnt exactly
0: chili
2: philosophical difference because of a
0: burnt dried chili. Right 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 a wet right. chili you blister the outside
2: yeah totally yeah but like if you i did like an experiment Like, because my chili oil recipe has been so like through the gauntlet over the years of like people making it. it's like oh whatever it's been refined but yeah like i think a lot of people get like hyped in the the sizzle moment when you pour the oil over the chili flakes and it's like the bubbles rise up and everybody's like oh my god so good and at the end Sometimes it is the case that they are blackened and that can lead to bitterness. Some people like that. Go gaga for that. I respect it. But I like more of like a bright red color. And that's what you get most of the time. That's what you get at home. It's what you can get some of the time from the store shelf, but is like hit or miss. Like a lot of like, you know, artisanal
0: ch- chili oils that are like out now, like they have that like black Quality. I don't know. Yeah. Some of the ones I've tried, some of them, I'm not going to call anybody out, but like mm-hmm. there's rancidity going on because mm-hmm. the heat level's exactly. been too high. Like Cardboard aromas, like yeah. paint aromas, yeah. like right. weird. I'm like, no, no. Right. No. Like we
2: we tried all of them on like the a blank canvas of like a very basic store-bought dumpling, mm-hmm. like very little. Boiled. Yeah. Like extra flavors going on and well, yeah, we just weren't impressed. Like for exactly the reason you said, it was just like tasted kind
0: of old. Yeah. You know. I had one that I tried that my wife was literally like, this tastes like poison. And, um, <laughs> and uh, but interestingly, like I let it open and uh, the, the poisonousness kind of flashed off.
1: Oh, interesting. Yeah. Very I don't know what it was, but Weird.
0: Huh. she was like, oh, that's not so poisonous anymore. I'm like, that's still not a ringing endorsement. <laughs> you know? Does anyone aerate? Is, uh, in the 70s, <clears throat> people used to, when they said chili oil, at like you know the chinese restaurants it was literally just oil. Mm. Does anyone even use that anymore? Is that even a thing anymore? I
1: don't know that that's really a thing anymore. I feel like on on the table it's usually a little plastic canister with flake at the bottom and yeah. you can kind of pick as you wish like what how much solid you want. Um and then at the dim sum places too actually like we used to only be able to get chili garlic sauce like sambal, right, right. Um, and now they're serving chili oil. Or it's not that hard; like you don't necessarily have to ask for the chili oil. They'll like put it out, um, and they're solid in there. So I feel like they're they're making it in house. Um, I think it's more common, and it's less so coming out of a like a an industrial. But you, oh, you, still, know, you still see those little bottles where it's just red oil yeah. in the store, and I'm but
2: like, when, when do we see that? I see, I see, it, see it at 99 Harris. Ranch still. Oh, okay. Mm. And I I glaze right over it. Yeah. But they're there, and I'm like, how long have those been there?
0: Right, <laughs> you, does your mind just erase it as you pass your? <laughs> yeah, I, exactly. It's, like, it's just like there's a blank zone there. <laughs>
2: yeah. I'm just like. Mm. Yeah.
0: Uh, I bet you some people cheat though. Like in other words, like uh you, you know Heinz ketchup. Yes. They uh they have an advertisement where they admit that people. Um, fill Heinz bottles with fake ketchup. And I, oh. I was kind of a weird advertisement, but I was like passing by and they were like, even when it's not Heinz, it has to be Heinz. And they have a picture of a person squeezing bullcrap ketchup. into It's a outstanding Heinz bottle. advertising. Oh, it really wow. is. Brandless. They're marrying other ketchups into the Heinz ketchup bottle because everyone wants Heinz. Yeah. Yes. So I bet you something's happening with, I bet you, because that, restaurants, a lot of them don't have probably time to make their own. Especially because if other people do a good job. But you're saying, I'm going to make your recipe, though. Because, like, I mean, I spend a lot of money on crisp. I am a crisp guy, <laughs> though. I am a crisp guy. And, like, you know, I, I'll take it with or without the the peanuts in it. But I am a crisp guy. Well,
2: um, we're all crisp people, I think. We've seen over the past several years. But each one has its occasion.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, all right. So uh, I'll be remiss. Uh, we should talk about what the blog is and kind of the, um, I mean, it's kind of a unique proposition, right? Like, so the walks of life, you started 2013. Yep. Right. In
1: 2013.
0: Right. And then, you know, I'm sure everyone asks you like the origin story a million times, so I'm not going to force you through that people, you know, but- It is incredibly rare, as you know, for a whole family to do a project like this. There's been like, you know, one parent, one kid or, you know, but to have kind of a collaborative four person, four people, two generation, you know, two siblings, two parents, like culinary odyssey that, you know, 10 year culinary (laughs) odyssey is kind of unheard of. And I'm sure that's a huge part of you know a huge part of you know the appeal for you guys right and i know it's a huge part of appeal for your readers um but the other part about this i think really interesting you know for those who don't know go to the walks of life and check it out but it's uh is that it's got um because you're all different people, like one person had, you know, worked in restaurants for a long time, one person, you know, grew one person's, you know, more from Cantonese side, one person's more from Shanghai side, you know, there's the American born Chinese experience in it. And like, so basically anything and nothing can or sh- could be quote-unquote authentic. I hate the term authenticity as it's applied to American Chinese food. We could talk about this later or any food in general, not just Chinese food, all foods. Authenticity, (laughs) when people talk about it because what the hell does that mean? People eat food. If it's theirs, it's authentic. Whatever, we'll get into it because people have asked questions. Um, So just, I don't know, it's not a question, but why don't you like talk about this weird amalgam and kind of how you you have the ability to, you know, uh, you say that you don't like that you can mess up any recipe. And then on the other <laughs> hand, is uh, talking to uh, to uh, Caitlin, but then you have, on the other hand, you know, the, the dad who was a restaurant chef and, you know, the mom who's been, so it's kind of, it's amazing amalgam. You want to say anything to that or just leave yeah, it where it yeah, lies? Or?
1: Yeah, I think, um, well, the blog started as a family project out of necessity because it kind of, It was the case that um, we started it because Caitlin and I, like, wanted to learn the food that my parents uh, prepared for us growing up. And we realized that even though we love to cook, we had no idea how to put dishes on the table that uh, were Chinese um, because they weren't written down. Right. And we didn't like to learn by watching. Like, it, it didn't feel as intuitive. And also, like, our parents would be like, oh, go do your homework and, you know, get out of the kitchen. Um, so we started the blog together for that reason, because essentially, like, we knew nothing and my parents knew everything. That's how it kind of started. Um, over the years, uh, you know, Caitlin and I have become a lot more knowledgeable and proficient in this. And so that has been kind of the coolest aspect of it is to see, like, it going from this like knowledge passing project to more of just like all of us on equal footing, developing our own recipes um, and and then like really seeing the sort of like differences, as you mentioned, kind of coming out from that. Right. So like my dad did uh, grow up cooking in restaurants uh, with his father, his stepfather and uh, his grandfather as well was a chef. Um, and my mom grew up in China um, and her food experience was extremely different, um, not just culturally, but also, you know, from a context from like a political context like she was growing up during the Cultural Revolution. Um, and then, yeah, and then my sister and I uh, basically just translating uh, my parents cooking and then also sort of just exploring the dishes that we grew up eating that weren't that weren't even necessarily part of, like, a Shanghainese or Cantonese uh, tradition. So maybe part—like, it was partially, like, going out to restaurants, like, trying Sichuan food for the first time, like, traveling in China. Um, So, yeah, we tried to kind of put all of those things in the blog and the book um, and hopefully at the same time expand people's view of what Chinese food is because I think that here in the U.S. it's very sort of—at least— up until recently when we've seen a lot more sort of regional Chinese cooking coming into the U S it's been very Cantonese focused because uh, most of Chinese immigrants to the U S throughout history have been from Southern China um, have brought that cuisine here. And it's sort of also evolved into its own branch of Chinese American cuisine. Um, But yeah, we, we just hope to sort of like bring uh, these regional dishes also to people's attention and really expand people's view of, of Chinese food and how varied it is.
0: Yeah, so I know Quinn was interested in this idea of developing recipes with your family. Quinn, what was it specifically you wanted to uh, to ask? Oh, I was just saying, that, that would not work with my family.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: I think that's most people's natural reaction when they hear about what we do. I mean, well, one of the things, I, like I was, uh, you know, reading, reading about it, reading like the, the bio in the book and also like, you know, like Food Network profiles, et cetera, et cetera, is that I'm sure everyone, and you, you know, apparently you self claim certain roles within the thing, but everyone I'm sure wants to pigeonhole everyone in the project into their own silo. And we were talking before the program came on, it's got to be irritating, right? Being, <laughs> it's got to, I mean, like, I find that, I find it kind of irritating.
1: Yeah, I think everybody's, like, sort of natural thing is just to, like, kind of... Everybody wants to, like, give you a role. It's like, oh, what's your role in the blog? (laughs) And we do, I mean, we do, like, have... We have roles. We (laughs) do sort of, like, have, like, things that we specialize in, right? But um, I think that the sort of the lines between each of us are a lot more blurry than that. Um, You know, I think that we we sw- like throughout the the process of writing the book we switched recipes a lot because it was like oh we thought like oh you know maybe our dad is like the right person for this recipe as it turns out I was the right person for that recipe um so we would just like when we were really struggling we'd just be like oh do you want to switch like we'll just switch that like you do this yeah. I'll do that and um it was nice to have the perspectives switching like
2: you know you would think that we would all be pigeonholed and even when we sort of were like okay let's go our default strengths in the process of writing it was actually like oh you know what kind of need to like break the script a little bit and see you know maybe somebody else can take a crack at it
0: right and so you know in the in the blog do you do i mean a lot you do a lot of revision like you'll revisit things you'll Mm say so how painful was it to put something into a book it was going to get written down, and then you couldn't change it again.
1: It was pretty, pretty painful. <laughs> freaking painful, I have to say. Pretty scary. It was scary, like, uh, uh, yeah, to, to, to be like, okay, we're going to put this down on paper. We cannot change it. I mean, in theory, you have subsequent, like, editions of the book, but, like, it was a lot.
0: Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah, yes.
1: right? <laughs> so um, it was just—it was scary. We were very—like, these tests. these recipes have been tested, like— to the nth degree. Um, And I was, there were a lot of like late nights of just reading the book over and over and over again. I probably, I personally probably read it like 10 times cover to cover um, just to check for mistakes. And then also there was this aspect of like, there are four people we each like on the blog, there are things that we don't necessarily think about in terms of like our differences in how we write a recipe or how we write out instructions. But in a cookbook, like where you have a lot less space, um you want more standardization there was a lot more like oh my dad is like way more wordier than my mom ma- like yeah. than my mom when he writes a recipe and like you know just having to like standardize things like how you like the order of operations in a recipe or like Whether or not you choose to go into X detail about whatever, um, that was challenging, right? Because it
0: is. It's like it's nice to have different people's introductory voices, which Mm -hmm. is clear in the book. But it would be jarring to have the flow of the recipe itself be different from recipe to recipe, because then you'd have to mentally change how you. Right. uh, Right. That's a problem I hadn't thought about.
1: Yeah, and I feel like it's not like it's something that does kind of show up. That we're a little bit more lenient on on the blog and. It's less jarring on the blog. I don't know why. Maybe it's just because there's so much more on the blog. We have over a thousand recipes on the blog. Um, but yeah, like just standardizing everything. Um, that was a challenge. And then also just like annoying, like little stuff, like like measurements of like, like we have this what, recipe. What, uh, uh, we have this recipe <laughs> that like calls for like 20, wa- 20 large walnut yeah. halves. <laughs> and like our editor is like, how many cups? Like, how many... Cu- oh, God. So, like, I'm, like, in, like, the... Well, I like, think it was cups fifth, first, and then you had to count the halves. The fifth oh, half God. of <laughs> editing, and I'm, I, like, run out to the, <laughs> to the store to buy a bag of walnuts, and I'm, like, counting the walnuts, and it was just, like, yeah. stuff like that.
0: That's, Hate. Hate. Yeah. Uh, gramps. Everything sh- Everything in life should be gramps. Agreed. True. All that things everywhere true. should be gramps. Yep. Um, so, in recipes that... So, like, some of the recipes and stories are attributed... Right. To the one of the four of you and some aren't. So what's the story with those? Are those all like group <laughs> efforts or like someone didn't want to claim it? Or like sometimes it's like you're like we got this. Uh, you know, we were talking to the folks at Chan Famous Foods and like we got. So like obviously that one, yeah. you know, uh, but like what does it mean when it's not attributed?
2: When it's not attributed. Well, it kind of goes back to like Sarah's saying about like standardizing. And there were times where we had to like decide when to standardize and how much to standardize because obviously we didn't want to strip all of the uniqueness away but you know our editor did point out she was like oh you know if you're like constantly voice switching it can get a little bit tiring so there were recipes that were just more of like group effort or like recipes that we all felt like we had like um the same level of affinity for almost or not one of us had a particularly affinity for like where it was like, "Oh, we have like a unique story." It was kind of like oh, this is kind of something that we all can like uh share and like reflect on as like our collective like we voice quote unquote so that's kind of how
1: we tried to navigate that. It was I will like, say that that every recipe <clears throat> did have like a lead developer on it, so yeah, even though even though they're behind like, the scenes, yeah, yeah, so even though they're generalized or not attributed to anybody, every recipe was like, owned by one of the four of us. Otherwise,
0: it would be chaos, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) it it would, yeah. I mean, so, like, the way that the development process worked was, like, you go off, you do your thing, you develop the recipe. When you feel it's ready, you bring it to the group. So, and that's the way we work on the blog as well. Otherwise, it would just be, like, constant peanut gallery happening, Um, so.
0: So how long is the recipe development for a blog? Like, how many iterations does something have to go through for a blog where you know you can change it versus a, cookbook or is it same to you
1: i think generally it's the same it depends on the recipe yeah there have been recipes that there are recipes that i that we do that are just like first try slam dunk because it's something that was built off of something else that's existing or like a technique that we already know or we're already familiar with and then there are recipes that take years um my dad uh we mentioned this in the book and like the timeline page but there was a sesame ball recipe. So there's like little dim sum fried sesame balls filled with like lotus paste or red bean paste. That took three years um, because it would just be like, it was like they were exploding in the oil. Uh, like steam yeah. was building up and they were just exploding. Oh, and
0: like, yeah. I used to, have, for like when I'm frying mochi stuff, it yeah, just explodes. Yeah, it's very yeah. So what's the solution?
1: So low and a, you fry it a lot longer than you think you have to. Over low heat. Yeah, it's like um, a donut. It's kind of like, yeah, you're, you're, and you're just constantly kind of moving it. Um, and then also the other, the other big discovery by my dad was because the sesame seeds would just kind of like fall off in the fryer in the oil. So his solution was like actually kind of like crazy that this works, but you, moisten the sesame seeds before you roll the ball in the seeds.
0: You mean just like with a mister, With just some water, uh-huh. just like a
1: tiny bit of water. You yeah, just like splash. kind of mix them up. And it's not, you, you <coughs> don't wet the outside of the ball. You don't, it's the sesame seeds that need to be just slightly damp to stick on and stay on. And what's surprising about that, I guess, is like water hitting hot oil and it being okay. Um, but I think it's just like just that small enough amount. Um so that recipe took a while. The taro puff recipe.
0: I did not realize that that was not a separate coating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Isn't it mind blowing?
0: It is mind blowing.
2: <laughs> the first time we realized, we were like,
0: "What?" You got a lot of recipes <laughs> where the oil temperature control is very important. Mm-hmm. Yes. So you mentioned yes. in that recipe that oil temperature control is vital to get the yes. that that you know. The right. Whispy, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. I mean that is nuts. Mm-hmm. John, you seen that recipe? No. You know what we are talking about? The uh the fried tarot the they're like, it's like, sh- d- yeah. it's like a dim sum. Nuts. Yeah. That it's is-
2: all in the lard, baby. <laughs> yeah.
0: Isn't it isn't it always? <laughs> isn't it always? Uh yeah. Delicious, delicious <laughs> lard. Well, I think you point out I forget whether it was blog or book, but uh, you know, lard's the new health fat, man. You know I right?
1: think yeah, I mean it's not that far off. Yeah. I mean, it's a natural fat. You can digest it. It's mm-hmm. not a uh, chemical. Mm-hmm. People that, seem to be turning on seed oils as well. I don't. Yeah,
2: yeah I don't know. Wait, I mean, you are you turning against this. it? Yeah. Wait, which which seed oils? Like literally all of them. Like the, like the they're refined like, oil, the like super extreme that? health oh, okay. crunchy yeah, people. Peanut. People
0: are against all refined things. I, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know it's like <laughs> whatever. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a pendulum. Yes. It's a pendulum. pendulum. Uh, All right. We have a question in that I would like to get to before I just go through all the questions that I have for you. Uh, Oh, by the way, next week, you want to say who we have coming on next week, Don? I'm embarrassed to say I don't know who's on next week. Oh, homodashitake from the. Oh, right. Oh, the yogurt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's going to be so good. Yeah. So, so, you know, uh, for those of you that aren't in, I don't think they ship outside of the New York metro area, do they? I think it's just their local. White mustache is like some super fancy yogurt. And. Mm uh, Iranian uh, Persian yogurt. Oh, yeah. So she'll be on uh, oh, in the okay, studio next fantastic. week. Uh, her book, Yogurt and Way." I'm pretty sure we're going to have it at Kitchen Arts and Letters on, yeah, should be. on discount. Um, but I only saw that because I was flipping through to the question we have. Uh, so <clears throat> Giuseppe Musk says, and this is an interesting question, uh, is cultural appropriation a real phenomenon in food?
1: Mm. I think that's interesting because... You know, food is constantly evolving, right? Different, different people take a recipe and run with it. Um, I think that when you claim a recipe, when you claim a recipe is of a certain culture and is authentic, but you didn't necessarily, if you didn't necessarily like do your research or, you, or you didn't attribute that recipe to the source of where you got it, then I think things get a little bit dicey. Um, But I will say that... I think it's all about the attribution game. Yeah. Because there are certain... Especially now
2: in, like, the world of food media, like, the lid is being blown off all sorts of things where it's like, oh, this technique. And then it sort of becomes, like, um, adopted as, like, the best way to do something. So, like, let's take the example of the cornstarch slurry and the scrambled eggs, right? That's a great technique from Chinese cooking. And it's like, you could just make regular breakfast scrambled eggs with that. And it's like, that's not so loaded in terms of like cultural appropriation as an example. But I think it's nice to know that it comes from like a Chinese cooking technique and to like say that rather than for like, you know, X big, you know, big box mart food media company being like, Oh, well we came up with this technique and it's yeah, so we brilliant.
0: Discovered it. Or, exactly. Right. Well, exactly. or so like, like, uh, <clears throat> okay. So like the question, right. Is, and I think a lot of us are struggling with this. I know in the, in the book that I'm theoretically writing, I'm also struggling with this. Cause you know, I've spent a long time like trying to learn new techniques. So they come from everywhere. <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, but in the early two thousands, you know, a lot of, uh, bartenders, would you know look at certain japanese techniques and they would then be like then they would teach the japanese techniques to you know um non japanese Uh, people, And then kind of like they would make a business out of it. In other Mm -hmm. words, like this became their unique selling point that they had this kind of thing. Isn't that where it becomes more? So when someone's like, I am now the conduit through which you can learn this Japanese technique. Isn't, I mean, that seems to me to be clearly problematic. Because you're literally saying I can teach somebody else about this technique. It's not just, Mm, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it depends. It depends a little bit on... I guess it depends on, like, your level of training in that technique and how, like, how much it was actually informed by, like, the culture that it comes from. Um, And also, like, I don't know. I think the perspective of, like, having uh, respect for that culture and wanting to to share it with people isn't a bad thing. But Um, I think
2: where rubber beats the road for a lot of people is, like, who's profiting off of it? And then that becomes, like, the conflict. But... Mm. And, I think and, and, I think,
0: and whether that's the only person who gets to talk about it,
2: right, right. And I think yes. we struggle with that sometimes because, like, as Chinese bloggers, it's almost like okay, you want to be the respected source for Chinese cooking, and you want to be like re- respected as a as a representative, as an advocate, whatever word you want to use. However. Like on the flip side, it's like a double edged sword. You don't want to necessarily be pigeonholed all the time. Of like, oh, the Chinese person talks about Chinese food, and that's it. Right.
1: So I think that's what's that's what's annoying. That's what's super annoying about it is that as a Chinese as a Chinese cook and a Chinese food blog, like I'm largely only allowed to talk about Chinese food, right? Whereas somebody who's not necessarily from from that culture, like like, um, can talk about can talk like have their take on a Chinese recipe, on a Thai recipe, on a, like a German recipe or whatever. And I feel like that part of it is challenging for for me. If if we're
2: not sharing on Instagram, like noodles and rice, whatever people just like tune out almost. And I'm like, We've we've adopted like this policy where it's like, hey, if we're talking about food that's not Chinese, y'all better sit up and listen, because that means it's really good. And that's it's just for us. it's just for us for our records, our personal recipe archive records, because otherwise people are just like, oh, why should I care if you're talking
0: about banana bread? And I'm
2: like, well, I have eaten banana bread my whole freaking life. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) And, And did your core audience get that or not?
2: I think our core audience gets it. I think they do. But yeah, like, you know, it's kind of this broader thing when you look at the world of food creators, like who gets to be like the person that like spans all types of food and who does it, you know,
0: or who gets like kind of stereotyped. What? Jesus. All right. Listen, a couple things. Salt baked chicken, the the haka recipe, was Mm. the only unmitigated disaster of the past five years in my. Because I ruined a walk. Uh oh! I tr- I tried to do a mishmash. I read you guys post on it, I, but I didn't do it in an <laughs> oven. I used a boatload of salt. Mm. I tried to get it, and like I overheated the bottom of my wok. I did, so like, and then I realized in the book you published a simpler recipe. Is that the recipe I should use? The salt yes. chicken? absolutely. Yeah, so easy. Oh, Just use that one. All right, and also uh, <clears throat> the uh, the the roast pork belly that what what they call in the restaurants down here roast pig. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is also an interesting recipe where you give credit credit to uh, another blog and like that is my favorite thing of all to like if I'm walking down the street the thing that catches me in a window is roast pig. I'm like mm-hmm. roast pig roast pig and much <laughs> like who wait who was who is it that did that? That was uh, you did that right? Like, mm-hmm. it's like it's like much more so than the than the regular roast pork the the that's I agree. Yeah. Yeah. It's my favorite too. It's yeah, so, so good. It's Really good. So is that recipe like super on point? I think it is. You, yeah.
1: you should try and see for yourself. So I
0: noticed you didn't do any of the baking soda or any of the other stuff. You did vinegar to keep that's keeps it blonde, right? That keeps it from getting too dark when you're doing the roast. A little yeah, bit of vinegar.
1: Yep. And I think the 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 key for me in the book version of the recipe is this the very short blanching of the skin because it's yeah, the, the skin key. is so leathery it, it can be really hard to poke the holes into it to get it to the puff up and be crispy. But if you blanch it really briefly, it'll it helps out a lot.
0: Alright, so listen, I thought I was going to be able to talk more about more stuff with you, but like, you know, if you want to read about the white cut chicken or the, by the way, the chicken wings, how are they? Because they're a wet on wet. I was going to talk to you for 20 minutes about like, you know, Willie May's Scotch House and how like wet on wet. Is that a working recipe? Do you like it that recipe a lot? absolutely it works. Works. very good. Yeah. Um, yes. It, Generations old. And, and, Sorry, sorry. The, uh, the, the duck that is basically like halfway to confit and you steam it, which reminds me of what Nathan Mirvold used to say. He's like, you don't need to do confit. You can just steam your confit. <laughs> he doesn't talk like that. And, uh, <laughs> but like that, but you only steam it like 30 minutes. So is it still chewy? Well, What yes. would happen if you did it for like an hour and a half? I mean, have you
1: tied it? I mean, in Chinese <laughs> cooking, this like fall off the bone meat is not really a It's thing. not the goal. You want a little bit of like toothsomeness to your meat. So you could and try it. I personally have not tried it, but yeah. I-, I like my meat to be a little bit like have a bite to
0: it. Okay. That's delicious recipe, though? It's really yeah. very good. That's the one your mom got from her buddy?
1: Yes. Yes. <laughs> from From her, like, her, actually, my grandmother's co-workers at the the, the dress-beating factory.
0: Yeah, 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 Midtown, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I used to live in the Garment District. All right, listen, uh, go by The Walks of Life. Check out the blog. Uh, for what's interesting is sometimes the book has a simplified version that's not on the blog, and sometimes they're different. You point to the blog back and forth, so it's a good, it's a good thing to have in your home to point back to the living document that is the blog. Sarah and Caitlin from The Walks of Life, thanks so much for coming on. Thank,
2: Thank you, you so much, Dave.
0: Cooking issues.